evening and welcome to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. I'm Tim Fredericks, your co-host, along with my uh, co-host, Fran Gavin, uh, here in the studio this evening for a very, very special uh, edition of Leadership Matters focused on women. This is continuing in our series of shows that have been curated by our doctoral students. And this evening, we are uh, uh, very pleased to welcome into the studio our two doctoral stu students, Jessica Swain and Lena Waslick. So, uh, uh, Jessica, I'm going to toss it over to you to uh, get the show going. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, we're very excited to be here. Um, as Dr. Frederick said, I'm Jessica Swain, and I am a doctoral student here at Centenary. Um, I was uh, a social studies teacher in middle, in middle school and high schools for 12 years, a responsive classroom educator. I briefly served as a uh, certified trainer for the Center for Responsive Schools, all before I jumped into administration. And I'm currently in my third year as the assistant principal at Eisenhower Middle School in Roxbury. Hi, everyone. My name is Lena Waslick. I am currently a doctoral student here at Centenary as well. I spent 15 years as a social studies and psychology teacher at high schools in Somerset, Sussex, and Morris counties. Uh, I also had seven years as an instructional coach. I've recently joined Hackettstown School District first as an assistant high school principal, um, but I now serve in central office as the director of instructional technology. So we are especially excited for uh, tonight's broadcast. Uh, joining us are three women who have graciously agreed to be our guests and share some of their experiences with us um, and hopefully inspire some future leaders, uh, particularly women who plan to be leaders in their field in the future. So to begin, we're going to share uh, the biographies of our three guests, and then we'll get into some group discussion. Uh, our first guest is going to be Ellen B. Eisenberg. Ellen spent her entire professional career in the field of public education, teaching English and reading in grades seven through 12, all levels from at-risk to advanced placement. As a department head of English in the school district of Philadelphia, she was responsible for monitoring and supervising curriculum and instruction. She chaired several middle states committees and was a member of the school district of Philadelphia's curriculum writing team. Her experience covers a 35 year career in one school district. From 2000 to 2005, uh, she worked with Talent Development High School, a whole school reform model designed by Johns Hopkins University. In Philadelphia, she worked as the lead literacy curriculum coach and then became the director of the high school program in seven, seven Philadelphia high schools. She served as an instructional facilitator for the Center for Social Organization of Schools at Johns Hopkins, facilitating professional development workshops um, in Philadelphia, Baltimore, St. Louis, New Orleans, and Hawaii, and has also presented at several talent development high school national conferences in Baltimore. She was the executive director of the Pennsylvania High School Coaching Initiative from 05 to 09. Uh, funded by the Annenberg Foundation, it was the nation's only multi-tiered teacher coaching initiative. From 2009 to 2018, she was the executive director of the Pennsylvania Institute for Instructional Coaching, which is shortened as PIC, supported by the Annenberg Foundation and working in partnership with the Pennsylvania Department of Education. Um, PIC built on the work of PASCI as a statewide resource for developing and supporting the delivery of consistent high quality PD around instructional coaching. Um, she's currently the executive director of the Professional Institute for Instructional Coaching, um, a nonprofit established to continue her work with instructional coaches and instructional mentors nationally and internationally. Her work involves helping school districts plan an effective instructional coaching model built on the before, during and after cycle of consultation and the four quadrant framework of effective core coaching elements. Eisenberg believes that she can make a difference in the lives of our youth and help all students and staff become members in the community of learning and practice. Our second guest is Francesca Marinaro, who is a resident of Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, and received her Bachelor's of Arts in Dance from DeSales University in 2008. She's worked with prominent artists such as Trinette Singleton, Sean Curran, Eddie Takeda, Lynn Mariani, Janet Peck, JT Jenkins, Kate Jewett, and of Shen Wei Dance Arts and Nicole Wilcott. In 2008, she had the opportunity to study in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and the Centro de Coreografico de Brazil. She's danced for Record Dance Company, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, Annex Dance Company of Charleston, South Carolina, 
and Angeline Wolf of Bangor performing along the East Coast. In 2011, Francesca established the Fusion Dance Center of Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, offering dance education to students ages two to adult. It is also the home of Fusia Pre-Professional Dance Company, a nonprofit performance-based company for young aspiring dancers to gain the experience of a performer and become the educated dance artists. In 2011, she became the co-artistic director of Dry Marinero Dance Company based out of New York City, where she continues to share her love of choreograph and work alongside incredibly talented artists and movers. In 2021, Francesca opened the studio's second location in Maniunk, Pennsylvania, Rise Movement and Art Center. Both schools host monthly shows and events for the community as well as offering programs for students through their partnership with Central Pennsylvania Digital Learning Foundation. Francesca believes in building up the confidence of each young artist so that they will not only reach their goals but develop strong character. The studios hope to serve as a creative outlet for growth and individual expression, embracing the creative process. Finally, we have Dr. Janine Stetner-Dutt. Dr. Dutt has served as principal of North Warren Regional School District in Blairstown, New Jersey since July of 2017. After graduating from Moravian College, Dr. Dutt began teaching Spanish at Phillipsburg High School and Phillipsburg Alternative Secondary School. While teaching, she also served as a coach for multiple athletic teams and advisor for student organizations. After earning her MED in Educational Administration at East Stroudsburg, Dr. Dutt was promoted to Director of Curriculum and Instruction for multiple departments in the Phillipsburg Middle and High Schools. During her tenure as Director, she also served as an Interim Elementary School Principal. After spending three years in administration in Phillipsburg, she accepted the position of principal at Lepatcong Township Middle School. After six years there, she moved on to her current position in the North Warren Regional School District, where she's in her fifth year. Since earning her doctorate at Centenary University in 2019, Dr. Dutt has taken on multiple leadership positions. She is a mentor in the New Jersey Leaders Program, a member of the NJPSA Council, and is the president of the WCPSA. She is also a certified trainer and coach for Becoming Your Best Global Leadership. She began teaching in the doctoral program at Centenary in the spring of 2020 and also serves as a mentor for doctoral students while completing their dissertations. Thank you so much, ladies, for taking the time to be with us today. As we explained when we first approached you about this radio show, we had a lot of leeway with the direction that we could take tonight, and we really wanted to focus on women in leadership. And while you're all in different positions and have taken different career paths, you focused your career around learning, teaching, and creativity. So today we'd like to talk to you about your journey, your careers, and the lessons that you've learned as you've each earned your success. We're gonna throw some questions out and ask that you all answer them as however you see fit. Please feel to comment on each other's questions and question each other if you would like. We really have been looking forward to this for some time. So we've heard your bios, but tell us in your own way, how did you find your path to your careers? What, what drew you here? Anybody can start. Ellen, you want to go? Sure, sure. Um, first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity to tell my story and to really share my thinking with you. So I really appreciate it. So thank you. Um, it, I have an interesting path, um, not unlike some other people, but it's one that I hadn't really thought about in, initially. So, you know, from my bio, I started teaching in 1973, and I, I always wanted someone to collaborate with me in my building, but there just wasn't a soul there. And I would come home to my husband, who was a teacher, and he would say to me, you're talking about children. How do children learn? And he would constantly talk to me about how to help kids get better at what they do. How do you help them get better at being a student? And so I would go back into school and I would kind of talk to my colleagues, but you know what? Teachers are so busy with everything in their own classrooms. They really didn't think they had time to meet and learn and grow together. And so that was always on the back burner. So I knew I was looking for something and I actually decided to apply for a position in the school called a disciplinarian. It was a school disciplinarian. And there were four of us at the time. I was the fourth. And we all had a portion of the alphabet. And I'm sure that happens in some schools, call them deans. We were called disciplinarians. And so I thought, well, you know what, maybe I'll try that and learn more about how students learn and how teachers teach. And I started to talk to the kids and I started to just be a listener at what they were saying and what they weren't saying. 
and trying to figure out why some were having difficulty in some classes and the same students were not having difficulty in others. And then I started to realize, wait a minute, I'm now noticing that not everybody taught the same way I did. You know, I wanted to collaborate. I wanted to talk to my colleagues, but a lot of my colleagues were afraid to actually admit that they didn't know something. And I'm the first one to say, I have no idea. Um, so please help. And I, I sort of kind of thought, you know, this is an interesting dimension to me. I think I want to go that route. So I stayed in being a disciplinarian. And then I realized, you know what, I want to go one step further. I want to help teachers by not just providing them with the professional development, the stuff, but I wanted to help them use the stuff that we all learned and get better at what we did. And so that's how I became involved with professional learning in a more structured way. And it was a school reform model out of Johns Hopkins University that I really sunk my teeth into it. And that's when I became the facilitator. And I really learned then that, you know, really helping teachers get better at their craft is really what it's all about. And that's how I ended up going each step, every step became, every position, every role became a stepping stone into the next piece of always thinking about students in the center and helping teachers get better at what they did in a non-evaluative, no risk, confidential way. And that's how I found my way to where I am right now. Janine, how about you? Before, even before you, you know, made that jump into administration, what drew you to the field of education in the first place? Awesome question. It's a, it's a very interesting journey for me. I was um, a student at Moravian College at the time, and I was uh, enrolled in the Spanish program because my original intent in the world was to be a writer. I wanted to be like an international journalist or you know something of that sort, and wanted to study. Uh, Italian and Spanish and do that. And one of the requirements of the program I was in was to take a psychology class. And the only one I could get into was educational psychology. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy, right? And they placed me in um, a school in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And it was a special education elementary classroom that was bilingual. And they mo most of it was uh, spoken Spanish. So I was kind of practicing my Spanish. And then I changed my major the next semester and I changed my major to secondary education. I knew I wanted to work with older students, not so much the elementary kids. And um, that's what I graduated with. I actually graduated with a double major in Spanish and English and uh, secondary education and immediately got a position in teaching Spanish right out, out of the Moravian College. Fran, you are a dancer, but you're also very much a teacher. How did you find your way there? <laughs> what made you want to teach what you are so passionate about? Again, thanks for having me today. I'm I'm a super emotional spirit <laughs> and already like just like in awe of your just stories so far. So thanks for having me. Um, and so teaching was actually something I never thought I wanted to do. I loved performing. I, since I was two years old, would, you know, just like create like things at home and was dancing. And that was just my outlet from like very, very young age. And I think I was like 11 when I started assistant teaching in the schools and the feeling of being able to use what you love to help someone else was like that, that was it. I was like, okay, wait a minute. Um, and so then I kept, you know, um, my story is I kind of trained to be a, a dancer, went through the whole studio environment thing and, you know, had um, some good experiences. But when I got to college, I went to uh, DeSales University and I, I uh, was introduced to the creative process and that really changed me and made me fall in love with education and um, teaching. Although I said I would never be a business owner. I would never have a business um, because I was like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> um, but I just knew that I felt that our community where we were really needed a place that um, not only taught the art of dance, but also, you know, allowed kids to be open to like the creative process and the word collaboration has always been something really a part of, um, you know, what I love to teach too. And so introducing like dance and poetry and um, uh, multimedia with dance and painting to dance and all of those things, I think really sort of fueled me. Um, 
and uh, kind of just evolved into us opening up the center uh, when I was 24. It was very crazy, uh, but um, just kind of went for it. We really just believed in our mission statement and how we were going to really just provide an educational experience, a well-rounded like technical training, but really kind of develop good human values, good overall kind of everything, just this really like, I don't know, positive, happy environment center for kids. <laughs> It's it's really interesting that you you know you, you share that with us um, and the same with Janine that you know where you started what you were passionate about what did not necessarily you know um, connect with education initially I know when I went to school my initial uh, major was just history like that's what I was passionate about it wasn't until later on that I decided you know I could I could do that. Um, and also share that passion with with kids and added that educational piece on. Um, and I think a lot of teachers find their way to the profession, you know, in a backwards way like that. You know, did you feel that same yeah, way? Yeah, when, when I went into, it's funny, actually, I went into school as a education major and then wasn't sure. And I switched to criminal justice. And then I actually came back here to Centenary to get my teaching degree um, before I, I started teaching. But um, yeah, it's funny how you find your passions sometimes, and it's, it's not always the, the most direct route, you know, but no, but um, that's the thing about teaching it. Once it gets in your blood and students are at the center and they're your North, North star for, for teaching, it just becomes part of you and you become part of it. And it's true. And even though, you know, I'm in administration now and some of the best parts of my days are when I'm still in the classrooms with those kids. It's, it's the best. <laughs> it's All the right. highest high and it's the lowest low. Yeah, that's true. Well, this may be a good point in the program to take a short break. Uh, we'll be right back, but you've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. And we're back on Leadership Matters, WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. This evening in the studio, another show curated by doctoral students here at Centenary University. And focusing on women's leadership is a fascinating uh, uh, topic. And let's get right back to it. I am going to toss it right back over to Jessica uh, to continue the show. So we've been talking to Janine and Alan and Francesca a little bit about their their histories and how they got to you know the field that they are in, um, and you know their inspiration for for climbing the ladder and becoming a leader in their field. Um, so I'm curious, were there any individuals who um, inspired you to to want to seek out a leadership position in you know in whatever field you you landed in? Were there any you know role models that you looked up to? I can uh, I can I can field this one first. This is uh, Janine. When I was a teacher at Phillipsburg, and you know, you read in my bio that I did coaching and I did advisorships and things like that. But I also took on kind of a pseudo leadership role in my department, and I had a lot of encouragement, believe it or not, from my colleagues. That's where it started. You know, the the people that I was PLCing with, and you know, with on a daily basis, saying that you know people people look up to you or people trust you or your judgment, and they come to you for advice, and then. That kind of evolved into the the principal that I, that I had at the time. Her name was MJ Deutsch, um, and she was also a coach and a you know female principal, and assistant principal that you know would always talk to me about these things. And hey, have you thought about going back to school? And you know, at that point, I didn't. I was very happy in the classroom, like you're saying that the best times are when you're in classrooms with kids, right? And then I had more leadership team members approaching me, looking at what I was doing in the school as a teacher and asking me why I wasn't pursuing this, that this would be something that I would probably have a talent in. And uh, then I enrolled, you know, I enrolled in the master's program at East Stroudsburg. And, you know, interestingly enough, I, I held my principal certification. I think I got that back in 2001. And I did not pursue an administrative position until 2008, which hmm. is when I got my first position in Phillipsburg. I, I finally decided to take that jump because I, I felt like I needed at least a decade or more in the classroom to become a well-rounded leader. So, but it was it was the people around me that inspired me to go back and to do it. And at the time, I, I was coaching three sports, and I didn't know if I could do it. And they were my rocks, you know, they were like, you can do it. And it may take a little bit longer, but, you know, you can do it. And, 
you know, one of the things is I, I've always, I think I've always kind of had a natural leadership part to me. So it, it, it was a great transition, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here right now without those people that were encouraging me in my past. Well, that's great. Um, Ellen, did you have um, a similar experience or someone that you worked with? Yes, I did. Interesting. You know, as I said earlier about my trajectory, one of the positions that I had, which was a department head of humanities in a school. And before I got that position, you had to be interviewed by your principal. Now, of course, I had worked with my principal for so many years before that, but I had never actually applied for a position that was not part of my teaching role. And so as I was thinking about applying for it, and I went for it, my husband said, go for it. He was the one who actually was in my corner saying, you know, why not? You love collaboration. You love working with people. So I, so I did it. And in this interview, it was the first time I had seen the principal in a different light. And she became a role model for me because she was a great listener and she always made time for me and always made me feel important. She always listened to my concerns, but she didn't agree with everything that I said. And what I learned from her is be that good listener and share your thinking keep on improving or thinking about improving where and how you do your work. And as you, as you move along in whatever role you take, remember that you're working with your colleagues and you presume positive intentions and everybody's coming from whatever place that, that where they are. And so listen with the intent to understand and try to help them sort through sort through things. And so she really inspired me once I became that department head to be that listener and to go that extra mile and to work with your colleagues. I was very lucky with her. She was a wonderful principal. Sounds like it. Fran, what about you? Was there someone that inspired you? Yeah, so um, I had a, like, I was really lucky to have some wonderful teachers along my journey um, throughout uh, middle school, high school, college, um, but ultimately, honestly, I have to say it was my mom. <laughs> um, I know it's like, a, maybe it's a little unexpected, but um, so. I've met your mom. That's not unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I was like, I'm like, I have to just pinpoint it to one woman and that is totally my mom. Um, <laughs> You know, so of course I was inspired by my like dance teachers and, you know, um, you know, women that were always in leadership, always inspired me. Cause I just like always knew that I had something to share. I never knew why or how I never knew that. I never asked it. I just kind of went for it. And my mom would always be the one that was just like, well, just do it. You know, it's like Italian. Like, <laughs> just, just do it. And I'm like, okay, but we don't know. Like we didn't know anything about dance or anything about how to do really anything. And we just did it. Cause we knew like it was in my heart. And I remember her, you know, like I have three sisters and so now I'm a mom of four and that same experience just kind of like, I don't know, every time I'm with my kids, I just think about always telling them that same thing, like just kind of go for it, figure out the like how later, but if you know, like why you're supposed to do it, like it's okay. Like if that's your why and you know how to share your gift, um, you just do it. And so that she really was just my, my cheerleader. I remember being afraid my first year of college, you know, not having a lot of the same training as some of the other dancers and her just being like, you know, believe in yourself. And I just did, you know, and I just did. And, um, whatever came in the way, whether it was, you know, financial hardships or anything like that, we kind of just persevered. And, um, and then that kind of led the way into, you know, I remember the ribbon cutting, you know, at 24 with like no knowledge of doing it. And who was the first person standing in line there was my mom, you know, and, yes. and I just, I don't know, I can't forget that. Like I was blessed to have wonderful teachers and everything, but ultimately um, I have to say it was her. <laughs> well, she was your first one. Yep. <laughs> I love that. Moms are the un unsung heroes so, so frequently. Yeah. Yep. And the first teachers. Yep, Moms exactly. are always the first teachers. We're going to shift a little bit and we're going to kind of ask 
individual questions of each of you. Um, so I'm gonna, Ellen, I'm gonna ask you a question. So you, with the help of an unbelievable team involved with PIC, have trained hundreds of instructional coaches. As one of those former coaches, I can easily say that you were our Yoda, or for you know us 80 kids, our Mr. Miyagi. But you impacted the careers of hundreds of coaches, hundreds of teachers, hundreds of thousands of students in Pennsylvania alone. Your impact is immense. You had a 35-year career in the classroom, in public education, and you're still going. What drives you? What what motivates you? Yeah, I'm trying to get it right. What you I'm say? Trying to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you for for those kind words. I I appreciate it. Um, I you know I just love being with students. I love being able to be in the position to see the lights go on. And by students, I mean adults. I mean, I've shifted my thinking, obviously, from my high school English class to working with adults. And I really do believe I can still make a difference in helping the adults who are working with our most precious commodities, our, our children, helping those adults reach their fullest potential so that they become architects of their own learning. They take they take ownership of it, but how to do that, how to help them understand and give them the permission. Yes, like you said, Francesca, go for it. And I, I think that's really important. So, you know, I still live out loud to kind of make this difference so that no student and, and nor their teachers will be left behind. So I'm still working towards that in trying to reach that that moment where I actually can see how the climate and culture of a school is all about the learner. And that's what helps me go. Well, I love it. And I we're all better for it. And when I retire in 17 years, I hope you're still doing it because I'm going to come down there and work with you. <laughs> there you go. Our, our door is open right for you, Lena. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, Fran, I've watched you become very emotional as you watch your dancers. I've been very lucky in that respect. And it's not just the recitals, it's the boys hip hop classes, it's the little ones who are finally getting the choreography and it's what it really looks like. And it's as you watch your, and as you introduce your graduating, graduating seniors, your passion's evident to everyone who's lucky enough to encounter you in those moments. Where does that passion come from? And what are your wishes for your students? Oh, thanks, Lena. <laughs> uh, see, I told you, uber emotional, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but thank you so much. Uh, I think I think what it was for me um, was um, dance and movement was the one thing that I, um, my outlet, right? And so that was my vehicle. Whether I pursued dance, you know, as a, as a professional or anything like that, I knew it was my vehicle. And being able to watch the students have that same experience Experience and use dance and movement and the performing arts in general as their outlet and their vehicle through their journey really is just so, uh, it, I can't help it. I mean, we are putting up a winter ballet right now and they're doing this big piece. And again, I'm like in the corner crying and I'm like, I don't know why I can't let that go, but I, I'm just so proud of them. And I've been fortunate enough. And I think that, you know, all of us maybe have had the um, blessing to watch students become teachers. And even in our small studio, I can say that, you know, 75% of them were all my former students now coming back and teaching. And now I'm watching them inspire other younger generations. And just having that be this like full cycle has just been so incredibly rewarding and the greatest gift. And all I ask for them, I think is, you know, in general for all the kids is, to find whatever it is that you love and to truly, truly embrace it because everything else I think falls into place if you are happy and doing what you love and, you know, kind of just doing what, 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 you know, motivates you, you know? Um, so yes, <laughs> all, all of that. <laughs> you know? I love it. Uh, so when I uh, reached out to Janine and asked her if she would um, help us out with this broadcast, um, 
and you know she was she was very willing to do so and when i said you know we really are hoping we can focus on um women in leadership she was like doubly excited she's like yes absolutely i want to be involved in that and one of the things she shared with me was that she's starting a women in leadership association for warren and hunterdon counties um so janine can you tell us about that and and why you think that's going to be something that's really important to have Oh my God, absolutely. And Jessica is right. I was uh, excited to do it. And then even more excited when I, it was about women in leadership, because I'd say over the past year, this is something that I've really gravitated towards. So, so besides the fact that, you know, there are less women leaders than men in New Jersey, but a higher number of female educators, the, the short answer to, you know, maybe overcoming that is that I, I truly believe that as women, we face obstacles and challenges that maybe some men might not always face. Like in my positions as a high school principal in a predominantly male dominated secondary world up here, I've mm -hmm. had people ask me straight up if I have children, they've asked, they've said things like, you're the principal because well, you don't look like a principal. And I've actually had people say, I didn't think working for a woman could be this great or this easy. So. You know, it never really hit me until recently because I've always had confidence in my leadership, not based on my gender, but I'm thinking, you know, for the next generation, this is something that I really want to work on. So why am I doing this? Well, I think it's important for women to have a place where they can talk about or brainstorm, you know, how to overcome this barrier and, and the unique challenges that some of us are faced with. But, you know, more importantly, I, I think it's important that women see what other women are doing you know, kind of like an encouragement piece. Like mm -hmm. if this person can do it, so can I. So I think, you know, we need to be, we need to support one another and we need to be mindful to never, ever, ever step on another woman to get where you want to be. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, we always need to encourage and grow people that we can see as strong leaders, especially our women and our young women and our teenagers, you know, and encouraging our students to be involved in things that they may not originally think they should be involved in, you know, because they're girls. Um, but, you know, outside of that, it's really important to understand that it's not a male bashing group. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, have, right. I have comments on that. I, um, I presented two weeks ago with my superintendent, who is actually one of the most incredible women I've been involved with, and it has encouraged me to do just about everything that I'm doing right now. We presented together at a Women in Leadership Conference. We're trying to present again at the state conference in the spring. And we were invited to the Bergen County Women in Leadership Group because of what they saw us do. So it, it's inspired both of us to do this. But really, it, I just think women have a unique situation in leadership that I do feel that sometimes we are faced with things that maybe our male counterparts would never be asked or never be faced with. So mm -hmm. it's networking, you know, it's networking and, and showing support to each other that I guess we were shown in the past. So that that's my main, you know, principle behind it and my vision behind it. Yeah, can I that come awesome. We want to join now. I, I want to give you a high five. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's a that's a wonderful philosophy and it's it's a such a great way to talk about and talk with other women, other females, young young women all the way up and and I couldn't agree anymore. You know, giving up is not an option right. unless somebody really has to do that. But you know, we we strive for showing progress, not perfection. Mm -hmm. And I think if we give permission for that and you go and and you go for it and you try and you see role models of others who have done it and yes. hear about their challenges and also understand you're not alone i mean you know thinking about what happens in life that are challenges i mean if life intervenes so what do you do about a challenge that you have and if you are a woman and you are up against challenges that you're that some male counterparts would not experience how do you help that person understand it and yeah. move past it so they never give up? Right. And that that's essentially what we're doing. And I mean, you know, as I deep, uh, I guess I if I dig deeper into what I'm doing with this and, and researching more, there's a statistic out there and it's not just leadership and education, but it's something like 60 percent of men. I'm, I'm sorry, men will apply for a job that they want if they meet 60% of the qualifications, but women, we usually wait until we're about 100%. And that's something yeah. that we need to change, mm -hmm. not just in education, but in leadership everywhere. 
Absolutely. That is so true because we think we have to be perfect. Yes, we do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, we've told long enough and, and often enough that we have to be perfect, but that's, that's the thing that we have to break down that stigma in order to help women reach their fullest potential. Well, we, we can have anybody from uh, any of the other counties join us in our leadership groups as well. So I'll, I'll get your contact information from Jessica. Yeah, and I, that's can't, I can't wait to join. <laughs> and, and that's perfect timing for us to uh, wrap up this segment. You've been listening to Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. We will be right back. And we're back on Leadership Matters on WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Welcome back in the studio this evening, uh, two doctoral students from Centenary University, Jessica and Lena, uh, with their very special guests uh, talking about women's leadership. So, Lena, I am tossing it right over to you. All right. Thank you, Dr. Fredericks. Anybody that's been listening to this show so far um, has no doubt of your your success, of your uh, intelligence of your experiences. But as women, I think there's times that we all question ourselves, um, where we are a little um, concerned. Oh, I, I mean, just as in general, uh, as professionals, concerned about um, how we're viewed. My question to you is Have you ever felt imposter syndrome? And if you have, how did you work through it? I can start with this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Fran. Um, so I think even in general, um, as a dancer, sometimes that's an easy thing to have happen or constantly standing in front of the mirror. And so we're critiquing not just our um, mental uh, abilities, and but it's also like physique and things like that. And so that's something that I've been really proud of. Um, in our institution to try to just like really make sure that we all <laughs> embrace who we are. And um, we always practice like, um, so affirmations are a big part of even my journey um, as a leader, because I think that even sometimes the longer you do it, the more you reflect back and that imposter syndrome kicks in and is like, well, at, like, what do I still have to offer after all these years? And how am I still, you know, so those questions um, pop in. So, um, we right away just kind of turn to creating and we turn to like doing a, a new project or doing a new, you know, collaborative um, kind of like experiment, you know, putting on a new show or um, connecting with um, just fellow like teachers and things like that. And then um, just kind of like work, work through affirmations and we look at what the journey has been and we have to sort of practice what we preach to the kids. So it's like, right. you know, we talk about the journey and the creative process, but like, we're still in process. And I think we'll, we'll, we're always going to have that kind of striving for the best because we're amazing. Right. And so we have to embrace that, um, that part of the journey. So um, I think it's very real, but I also think that it's okay to be real <laughs> and to show, um, you know, that like things aren't perfect all the time and, and, and that, you know, we will work through them. And so, but the affirmation piece I think is really huge and something that I've been really trying to implement um, more and more to the students, to the teachers, um, and myself. Anybody else want to jump in on that? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Um, yeah, all the time. Yeah. I feel the <laughs> imposter syndrome. Me um, too, Ellen. <laughs> I, I mean, I admit readily, I am not an expert and regularly feel, oh my goodness, what happens if people find out I really don't know what I'm doing? I really don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> And then I try to remind myself, I am a member in a community of learning and practice, mm -hmm. and that I am a lifelong learner. I continue to make a million mistakes daily, but I also learn from them. And so I try to balance the fear of being an imposter and what if somebody finds out I, who I really am, and I can share something that maybe will help someone I think the issue for me comes in, I'm counting on others to make me feel successful. And that's very stressful. That's the root for me of feeling that you're an imposter, because how do you know? How do you know if what you're doing and saying and showing is really going to have a positive impact on anyone? If you have a cure-all, I am all ears. I don't. I wish I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I wish I did. 
could one of you share with us, um, you know, a, a, a big challenge that you had in any of the leadership positions that you've held, um, you know, something maybe you didn't see coming um, that kind of threw you in that moment, and then how you uh, responded to it to, to move past it. I would, uh, I would love to take this one. Um, you know, we get asked this question a lot. And when you have different roles, especially in education, like I've been in multiple positions, there's challenges that obviously go with every job, right? So whether you're, you're, you're a teacher or a principal or a supervisor, the challenges are different. But, you know, one of the things that I always kind of talk about when this question is asked is, you know, you, you hear the saying that it can be lonely at the top and, and that can really ring true. Mm -hmm. And when you leave the classroom or like your teacher's union and now you're a standalone administrator, um, even sometimes when you're on a team, there are days that you can be like, wow, you know, it's tough because sometimes the decisions you're forced to make, you know that you will not be popular, but you must remain. Right. I, 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 the way that I overcome this is I, I lead by vision. I lead by goals. I lead by character. I lead by modeling, you know, so if I remain steadfast to that and I always, always, always focus my why on kids, it's okay if it's not always popular with staff or even other leaders, you know, but you can't stray from that, that vision or goals. And I, and I found that even in the times of like the COVID that we're still living through, it's a challenge to remain steadfast to that, but you know, it also gives you a time to like self-reflect and, and grow on it. And then the other challenge, I think, in, in leadership positions, especially in, like most of us are in the world of education, is that one of the things that I've seen in all of my positions is that not everyone shares your enthusiasm. And, you yeah. know, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you'll be really enthusiastic about something and you're like, I know this is best. And, you know, people will challenge you and they'll challenge your initiatives. And um, you might think that people aren't working as hard as you would. And maybe that's part of, you know, how we are as maybe type A women and stuff. And it's really when you're passionate about something and maybe not everyone, you know, buys into it. And so then how, how you let that affect you is really going to, I guess, measure what success, for lack of a better term, you have as, as a leader in your buildings. So that's just a, my, my take on, on what some of the challenges are that were definitely not expected and not taught in Admin 101. I love that, Janine. I, you know, that, that whole idea of popularity versus maybe reality. Um, and I think that is so true. And I can actually see connections with instructional coaching because with instructional coaching, very often you have to renegotiate your relationships with your yeah. colleagues. And, you know, Lena, you'll know this because you've gone through it like the rest of us with instructional coaching. And I think the biggest challenge with instructional coaching in schools is that you really have to overcome the challenge of what, what the, the vision is of instructional coaching and balance it with what people think instructional coaching is. So really right. helping schools and, and staff understand the roles and the goals, like you mentioned, um, Janine, and the expectations of instructional coaching coaching that has been a tremendous challenge in some schools because mm -hmm. people think that coaching is a fix it model go fix it you know and they don't realize that that's not what effective instructional coaching is so negotiating that challenge can be very very daunting unless you really talk a lot and can reinforce who's going to be instructional co a coach and helping everyone understand that patience is involved, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and, and just work through those things with coaches and break down the misconceptions and the misunderstandings and ask people to put their trust in, they want schools, they want to improve schools. They want to get better at that. So how do we do it? And, I always remind them, you know, you've got two ears and one mouth. There's a reason for that. Be a better listener. Listen to what instructional coaching can do and help you achieve your school-wide goals and think about, is it something that we can do? You, you know, and, the, and just to real quick to piggyback on that, um, we were talking before about it's still, it's still rewarding when you work with adults, you know, and you see their, their successes. So about the instructional coaching piece, 
one of my fondest memories that I'll always take with me was from my former position in um, my middle school where there was absolutely no data being used for instruction, um, yeah. no true intervention plan, no real uh, initi curricular initiatives. And that was, a, that was a big challenge coming in as a brand new principal and to say this is best practice. And it took about two years, but our park scores increased exponentially from moving to like a reader's uh, workshop and a math workshop model that to stand up in front of the teachers then at that last staff meeting, or I think it was the beginning of the next year and say, look what you did, you know, not mm -hmm. look what I did, look what you did for our kids. I have the goosebumps right now because mm -hmm. it was such a celebration. So where you have those challenges, like I'm saying, if you stick to that vision and you stick to that, lots of talking, like you're saying, and lots of active listening, it, you can't give up because it, it will pay in the end. And then you've then you've gained trust, you know, and you've and, and you're going to maintain that trust. And that, that's one of the best feelings any leader can have is to celebrate their people. And that was that was a great, great moment in my career. Love it. Love it. All right. We have a question that's kind of a little uh, a little different for you. So you are all professionals and you all have your role as professional leaders, but you all are very much involved in the community as well. So what do you think the most important part of your role as a community leader is? How do you foster that? And how do you deal with that pressure? So Fran, I'm going to go to you first. That is a really great question and I appreciate it because it really causes me to reflect a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I've been like listening so much to what um, Ellen and Janine even were just talking about and everything is about I think teamwork and community even inside of the studio first and I think that helps me to be a leader outside of the studio um, and to run into you know someone who is maybe a past client or current client um, or you know I don't know um, it could be anything really um, it, it really helps me to know that um, we have a strong community base um, I also think that it's important to just kind of smile you know that's mm -hmm. something I'm just committing to because it is a lonely road sometimes I think in in teaching, in business ownership, um, you can have an event where it's a huge success and then there's events that aren't. There's days that are successful and there's days that aren't. And if you're ultimately, I think just what you were saying, Janine, like the vision is clear too about why you're doing what you're doing. I think when you take yourself out into the community and you are a leader, if people know what your vision is and what your why is and that you're doing it for these kids and for, you know, giving them opportunities that maybe they would have never had. Um, I think you're just more well-received, you know, there's always going to be someone who thinks that it's irritable that you're smiling all the time, but <laughs> it's okay. Like it really is okay. And um, I don't know, as we get older, I feel like life is short. And so just em embracing um, just every day as a gift and trying to smile, I think is, is just a, a really big thing that lightens the mood, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> yeah. And Janine, how do you balance that, you know, the role you have as a leader in your building for your staff and your students, and then, you know, that equally visible role that you have for, you know, the township and the community in which you work? I'm going. I'm going to agree with the smile thing. That that, that is, you know, uh, a smile can de-escalate uh, an irate person in in a matter of seconds when you when you control your emotions. So, in the community, I I took this question more as being a community uh, face and uh, attending events and inviting community and parents and constituents in sure. to to work with me. Um, but the smile piece made me think of how you work with parents or community members who who don't quite agree with you and that, you know, keeping keeping your ground, but staying steady. And uh, I'll always go back to, you know, the vision. And you could ask pretty much any staff member in my building, uh, definitely my team and people that I work with in the community. I'm actually currently running something called Portrait of a Graduate up here at, at North Warren. And uh, we're, we have all constituents involved in this, including the police, you know, and the business owners and, and so forth to help drive our programming and curriculum here that best meets the needs of kids for, you know, kids who might not go to college and so forth. So I bet you they could tell you what my vision is, you know, because my vision does not change. 
from my leadership to as a principal to my leadership of students and my team and the community. It's the same exact principles. So that has helped me tremendously. And it's actually the same vision and principles that I have as a professor and in all of these other, I guess, extraneous roles that I have outside of my uh, position. So yeah, that, you know, sticking, sticking true to that and being myself and admitting when maybe I don't know something and that, that, that's, that's really what I do. Because, you know, people respond to your approach uh, a lot more on how you do things more so than what you're doing. So I think that approach goes a long way. Thank you. Um, so we have just a few minutes left. So we wanted to make sure that we, um, we kind of wrapped up with asking each of you uh, what advice you would give to the next generation of, of female leaders in particular. Um, Ellen, would you mind sharing first what, what you sure. would share? Um, I think I would the next generation is go for the gold standard of whatever you pursue, you know, balance your personal and professional lives to the extent that you can be patient in whatever it is that you're doing. Take your time, you know, nag where you have to nag, nurture where you have to nurture, <laughs> have, have that voice and live out loud and show others their superpowers instead of showcasing your, your own. And I think I making not thinking about egos and not letting your ego intervene, you know, leave that ego at the door. And that's part mm -hmm. of the, being a community leader as well. Leave your ego at the door and listen to people and really understand that we're all in this together. So think about that and be a reflective practitioner in whatever field you choose to pursue. Just go for it, but do it with patience and honesty and integrity. Fran? Um, that was really incredible, Ellen. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank all you. of that. No, it's so beautifully like said, because um, it's also true. But uh, the one thing I'm going with this year to all of my team is just think big. Because I think if you continue to think big, there is so much space you know, to grow and there is time for everything and you can find balance and you can do all of the things that fill your heart, that fill your life, um, all of it. So just keep thinking big and love yourself. <laughs> oh, great. Absolutely. All right, Janine, we'll end with you. Most of it has already been said, but, you know, take, uh, take risks, you know, take chances. Um, be 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 confident in yourself as, as a girl or as a woman take time for yourself um yeah. that's really really important you know and to 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 really build each other up and you know just really just absolutely never ever ever give up and one of the things that i do with you know my nieces and stuff and when they ask me about my job i go guys i don't walk into my school building in the morning and go hey I'm a female principal, never crossed <laughs> my mind. Lead with confidence, work with confidence, do the job that you know you can do, apply for that job, even if you're not 100% at the qualifications and love yourself, love yourself and, and walk with your head high. That is what I tell all of the younger girls that I work with. Well, thank you guys so much. We are so excited and so grateful that you spent this time to be with us today. We. We couldn't be happier and we couldn't be more excited about everything that you've shared. Thank you to everybody for joining us uh, this evening on Leadership Matters. You've been listening to WNTI.org, the voice of Centenary University. Mm -hmm.